<laughs> has been overturned. <laughs> Whatever we do, we don't want to be reversed. <laughs> that could be bad. I think it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Legal terms. Legally, spade does not apply to Ezekiel 34. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first thing we said that didn't apply to <laughs> But Gary somehow managed to get them both in the same That's right. <laughs> we are good at this. Anything else to verse 10 and related concepts? Do you go to this whole section often for talking about others? Yes, I do. Yeah, this along with some of those other passages we talked about last time, like Jeremiah 23 and Zechariah 11, that just, I mean, this lays out really well, I think, the model of what a good shepherd would be. And uh, if the Bible talks about shepherds, why not look at, even Psalm 23 is a good passage for that. You know, that's more positive, looking at what a good shepherd does. This is more looking at what a bad shepherd you know does and so you can really get a feel for the kind of role a shepherd ought to play alright 11 to 16 and I said the Lord God behold I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out and the shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will leave them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. So, what's God going to do? Exactly. You know, if you can't find good help, you just have to do it yourself. And the Lord will shepherd his flock, which reminds you a lot of a New Testament passage, which is? Yeah, exactly. I am the good shepherd. I know that. They heard my voice and they followed me. Shepherd laid down his life for the sheep and all that. What what passage is that? John. John, chapter ten. Ten. Very Whoa. good. He's just playing dumb. About the one he gets. No, I never <laughs> thought it was John. That's John. Ten. Sure is. So this John ten would kind of be a fulfillment of this. Jesus as the true shepherd for his sheep doing the very things that a shepherd ought to do delivering and bringing together his scattered sheep and feeding them providing for them um, and really reversing the failures of the wicked shepherds in fact you look at verse 4 and you look at verse 16 and you have sort of a chiasm but you sort of go in opposite order he does the very things that the wicked shepherds did not do um, so he's going to uh, be the kind of shepherd that his sheep really need. Where's your key? Well, I'm saying four verses sixteen uh, is more or less reversing that. You see that? In four, they're sick and they're diseased and they're broken and they're not found I look at 16. I will seek the lost. That's that's the end of 4. No, have you sought for the lost. Bring back the scattered. That's the one right before the scattered you've not brought back. Bind up the broken. That's the one before the broken you've not bound up. Strengthen the sick. That's the two right before that. The sickly and the diseased you haven't strengthened. So it kind of condenses them. But it sort of works its way back up verse 4. Other comments and thoughts to verse 16? Well, the fat and the strong um, were the ones that were uh, fighting the other sheep and trying to destroy them. We'll see that in the next section, where some of the 
the stronger sheep were sort of bullying the weaker sheep. And so he's going to perform justice between the sheep. So he's taking care of the shepherds, not having to do with the sheep. Yes. Is there any significance to the cloudy and gloomy day in verse 12? I probably fits just a mixture of forlorn sheep that are straying on the mountain. You'd expect that on a cloudy, gloomy day. If there's something besides that, I don't know what it is. So we don't know yet that these farmer sheep were growing. No, we don't. We do know that he takes special care of the sheep with special needs. Yes. God always takes special care of the ones who need special help. And he tends to be down on the ones that are self-sufficient. Because the ones that need help will depend on him more. That's exactly right. They're humble. They, they, they recognize their insufficiency. problem is when we start thinking of ourselves too highly. You know, you also see in this, obviously, I mean, we, we look at it from the standpoint of the shepherds, appropriately so. But in a sense, all of us are to imitate the Lord in this. We ought to have special concern for the sheep who need special help. That's the way the Lord would be about that. You know, when he sees the lost, the scattered, the broken, the sick, he rushes to their aid. You know, those are the, you know, the, the misfit sheep are the ones the Lord cares about, maybe even most, um, because, I don't know, I mean, we're more, you know, in, in the world as a whole, you run over the weak sheep, and the strong, braggadocious sheep we sort of bow down to and follow them around. The Lord would reverse that. He gives no respect to the, the self-sufficient, proud sheep. But he does everything he can to, to help those, you know, needy sheep. All right, comments or questions on that? In one sense, we're all needy sheep. The problem is, we don't all know it. We don't all know it. You're exactly right. It's Simon and that woman in Luke chapter 7. You know, Simon was this self sufficient Pharisee who probably thought, you know, um, he was doing Jesus a favor by bringing him into his house and, you know, having him for supper. And here's this sinner woman, notorious, wicked, you know, horrible reputation you know, crying at Jesus' feet. She loved much because she saw what she needed. Simon was just as needy as she was and he didn't have a clue. It's not that we need to be needier, it's that we need to see how needy we are. But I wonder if we wouldn't much more readily identify with Simon, an upstanding, you know, respected religious leader, than with this woman of, you know, very bad background and, and, you know, bad reputation. All right, other thoughts or comments? 17 to 22. And as for you, my thought, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, or that you should drink of the clear waters, that you must foul the rest with your feet? And as for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet, and they must drink what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, and you have scattered them abroad. Therefore I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. So this is where you really get that focus on the Lord going beyond, uh, you know, punishing the wicked shepherds, 
he sees problems between the sheep. And what does he see some of these sheep doing? Pushing. Yeah, pushing and shoving uh, to get their way. Uh, totally unconcerned about the well-being of the other sheep. Willing to sort of muddy the, the waters and foul the food for the other sheep. Um, bullies, you know, in, in sheep terms. Um, and I wonder how many times we push and shove our brethren aside to gain whatever we want. You know, I'm concerned about the other sheep that are coming along, but very concerned about what we want our agenda. Um, especially, um, you know, sheep that may not be able to stand up for themselves, you know, taking advantage of them to advance our own cause or whatever. God's very concerned about how we treat the weaker sheep. So if there had been a real shepherd in charge of the flock, the bullying sheep wouldn't have had a chance. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I think you would have probably disciplined them and seen to it that they were. But, but you know, here's the thing. If you apply that in modern terms, it's hard to deal with the bullying sheep. They're the, the members that have a lot of money. They've got a lot of clout. They're the good speakers. They're the talented people. They're the respected ones. And they're the ones you got to keep on the good side of. You know, the weaker sheep are, they don't have a whole lot to offer. And so in practical terms, we were looking yesterday morning, uh, we're studying through James right now in the adult class, and looking at James 2, with the two men who come into the assembly. One of them, you know, is uh, it's like a successful, you know, man. He's well-dressed, got a golden ring and all. The other guy looks like a street person, you know. Comes in in dirty clothes. And we'd fall all over ourselves to make sure that the, the successful man likes us and, you know, is shown all the best attention. We just sort of hope that nobody even notices the homeless man because we wouldn't want anybody to think that he would be one of us. <laughs> And, and isn't that the way we are? You know, I mean, so quick to think about. Now, you know, they would be a real asset. You know, he's, he's got some money. He's a good businessman. They have a nice-looking family. You know, he's young and, and successful and educated. That's, that's our kind. You know, we, we, he could really help this church. But you take some, you know, widow woman who's you know, has, you know, is shy and, and not successful, poor, or whatever. Somebody, you know, I mean, we probably talked about this before, and I, you know, well, I, maybe I should avoid names since this is being taped, but, but think about, you know, certain people who maybe don't have the same social skills and who are just more, they're easy to pick on, they're easy to laugh at, they're easy to kind of look down on because they, they do stupid things. And, you know, it always impresses me when I see brethren treat well the people who the world would pick on. That's, Christians ought to be known for that. That, that you know, in other circles, these people might just be laughed at and scorned and used to try to, to score points. You know, how, that's how it is in school. You know, you use the weaker one to try to score some points so you increase your status. But among Christians, it ought never to be that way. Among Christians, you know, even the ones that are the most, like, really socially slow or, or just, you know, misfits, you know... Among Christians, they ought to find, you know, total asylum. I know um, one of the things that, uh, that I thought was really cool, uh, and, and a good illustration of this, in the Alabama camp, with uh, the boys equivalent to what Laura's going to do, it's just a tremendous atmosphere with those guys. And uh, I remember 
there was one year, a couple of years, but there was this boy who came, who was real. I don't know, I don't know anything about his background, I don't know anything about his family, but he was different, you know? I mean, he was just, he was kind of annoying, he was kind of, I don't know, he was just socially, he wasn't together. I, mean, I don't know, I don't know what was wrong with him. I mean, you never know about those situations. I don't know, there, it didn't seem, I don't think he was overly dumb, but, but just, he was just abrasive. And just, you know, his voice and his, his mannerisms. And I'll tell you what, it was so cool because, I'll tell you in a minute who it was, but one of the most capable, talented kids at that camp, one of those years, reached after him and became his special friend that whole week. A kid who everybody else in a camp like that wanted to be close to and around and was impressed with, and he just reached out to that boy and studied with him and encouraged him and always seemed to have plenty of time for him when anybody else would have sort of felt like, oh, you know, I hope he doesn't come around me. And the boy who, who reached out like that was Josiah Peter. Who is Josiah? That's Josiah, one of Josiah's characteristics. And it was great. It was so encouraging. Because Josiah knows everything about the Bible. And, you know, in a camp like that, I mean, he was impressive, you know, because he did. He, you know, he's sharp. And, uh, but, I mean, man, he stuck right by the side of this guy that whole week. And that was so cool, you know, just to see that. That! And I, I know, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was asking, uh, you know, somebody about about that. And he said, you know, you go down to this camp, in contrast with some others, and everybody treats you good. And that's the way it ought to be among Christians. You know, it ought to be that we, we never take advantage of each other. We always look out for each other. You know, we're always careful because we realize, you know, our brother's going to have to pass this way. So we want to try to help him, strengthen him spiritually, and if he's a misfit or, or whatever, or just poor, or, you know, from the other side of the tracks, not very, not very good looking, not very intelligent, you know, whatever. That among brethren, we rally to those people. what your people like me so much. That's it, Sarah, now you know. <laughs> but you know, it is really, it, it is really cool to, to see that. I mean, uh, because you think about that, I mean, man, it, uh, there's no other circles where I've been uh, well accepted. <laughs> you know, in school it was not exactly a picnic. You know, it's, uh, it's wonderful. I mean, how, how really kind and generous brethren are. And you can even do things that are stupid. And, and they'll, they'll still care about you and love you and, and help you. And that's pretty neat. I'm thankful for that. All right, other questions or comments through 22? All right, um, 23 to 31. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them the places around my hill of blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. There will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit, and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bars of their yoke, and have delivered them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. They will no longer be afraid of the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them, but they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. I will establish for them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land, and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, your men, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Okay, so the Lord sets over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And David will be the prince among them. Who is he thinking about here? David? Who's David? 
Absolutely. I think so. Um, because Jesus was the greater David, the son of David, who would become the great shepherd for God's sheep. He would become the ruler God appointed. He is the David. When he expresses this, he expresses it in terms that people could understand, that people could relate to. And so he he speaks in terms of, of David as their shepherd and their prince. Of course, David himself was a shepherd. So this is especially appropriate. It, that fits some other things that you see in the Old Testament prophecies. Can you think of other times that uh, future people or future situations are spoken of in terms that they can relate to from the past? Who did God say was going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord? Malachi 4? Elijah. Elijah, yeah. Said Elijah would come. But we know that the Elijah who would come was John the Baptist. uh, He says, uh, Behold, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's uh, Malachi 4.5. And and very often, you know, he will speak in terms of, um, you know, things from their past they could relate to in Hosea for example when they were going to go into captivity in Assyria God keeps talking about they're going to go into Egypt where is that? Hosea are you familiar with that? Uh, well we'll become familiar with it Hosea 9 3 they will not remain in the Lord's land, but Ephraim will return to Egypt. And in Assyria, they will eat unclean food. And uh, there's a couple more verses there, I think. But don't ask me where. I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know. That, that's at least one of them. Oh, in 9.6. Behold, they will go up. Uh, go because of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them and so forth. There may even be another one somewhere in uh, Hosea. The idea Egypt meant captivity. You know. So, uh, so he gives them David um, as the, the good one shepherd, the prince. He makes this covenant of peace with them. And notice 25 to 29. It might help us to kind of break this down a little bit in terms of the blessings of this covenant Um, in verse 25 what blessing is he going to give them security Security from yes now you know that doesn't mean a whole lot to us you know I mean we don't think a whole lot about going outside and you know, having a wild boar gorse or, you know, I don't know, whatever else they might have dealt with. I think there were some tigers and lions in, in the Jordan Valley and some things like that. You know, but we pretty much eliminated the threat of wild beasts. I mean, there might be a snake or something that, you know, some places. But I mean, realistically, you rarely think about being attacked by a beast. But for them, that was a, that was a worry. You know, that would have been more serious problem. And uh, so you kind of have to put yourself back in their their place. So security from the wild beasts. In verse 26, in the first half of 27, what's he promising them? Blessings from the form of showers and food. Yeah. Vegetation. Yeah. And then in the last half of 27, and the very first part of 28... What's he promise? Freedom from Yeah, exactly. Freedom from human oppression. And then in 28, the last two-thirds, we go back to the beasts. First part of 29, 
Then the vegetate the vegetation really. Okay. First part of twenty nine. Oh, okay. So this is a chiasm. No, it's not a chiasm. And the last part of twenty nine, not enduring the insults of the nations. So you just go through that twice. The wild beast, the vegetation, the protection from the nations, then the wild beast, the vegetation, the protection from the nations. Why would you repeat it? Emphasize it, I guess. So the wild beast, the vegetation, the protection of the nations. Yeah, however you want to say that, I don't care. But he does kind of go through that twice. As the things that are in the covenant. Now, I might suggest also in connection with the wild beasts, there's a considerable amount of emphasis on that in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 5.17, when he was going to punish them, he would send on them famine and wild beasts. And in 14.15, um, <clears throat> he talks about, and, and, and 14.21 also, as the wild beasts... In 1415 and 1421, the wild beasts were one of the four severe judgments that he would bring on the land. And uh, in 3327, he was going to punish the people that stayed behind in Jerusalem with wild beasts. So wild beasts are kind of a, a standard punishment in Ezekiel that God was going to protect his people from in this age of blessing. And in, in the Messiah, when there's a good shepherd, they'll be protected from the wild beasts. That goes all the way back, and this is a typical tie-in, goes all the way back to the blessings and cursings of the covenant. In Leviticus 26.6, if they're faithful to God, he would eliminate harmful beasts from the land. But in Leviticus 26 and verse 22, if they're not faithful... I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which will bereave you of your children, destroy your cattle, etc. So, all the way back in the blessings and cursings of the covenant, he said, wild beasts if you're unfaithful, no wild beasts if you're faithful. In Ezekiel, in the early part, one of the punishments was wild beasts. Now that we're looking at the blessings after the punishment, he takes the wild beasts away. Now you can do that with a lot of these other things too. You know, it's a typical pattern you've got. But the wild beasts are maybe a little bit more unusual, so it's easier to see them and spot it. Where did he bring the wild beasts in the Leviticus 26? 26-22. Much of the prophetic, especially judgment, sections go right back to the curses of the covenant. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you can see constant tie-ins. In fact, uh, I, I think you could say this, I haven't worked on this a lot, but I've heard people say it and it makes sense to me, that the prophets were essentially the preachers of the covenant. That's a good way of thinking about them. They were going back to the covenant, preaching it, and pronouncing the condemnation the covenant stipulated for the people's disobedience. And so, in the end, verse 30 and 31, there's this new relationship. They will know that I am their God. I'm with them. They're my people. You're my sheep. I'm your God. There's that closeness, that harmonious relationship between God and his people. Comments and questions? And in case there was ever any doubt... To whether we're talking about sheep or not, <laughs> <You're a man. laughs> you are men. <laughs> yeah, that, you could have a little identity confusion if you didn't. <laughs> 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 Any questions? Alright, anything else on 34? Was it strange for a sheep to sleep in the woods? Oh. So, is this supposed to be talking about us? Yes, I think so. I think this is a messianic passage. But like, like you said, it doesn't really apply. Sure it does. 
We don't have David either. This is using this is using physical expressions they related to to talk about the spiritual shepherding, security, peace, victory, prosperity. This is using physical terms they related to for the spiritual blessings we have in, in Jesus. I mean, obviously, we're not actually being pastured in a in a pasture. <laughs> You are a man. Yeah. We're having all sorts of problems with who we really are. So, what would some of these blessings be in serious spiritual sense? Would be like the security would be knowing that you are you are or could be in Christ, I guess. Yeah, and protection from uh, all the fiery darts of the evil one. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, the, the shepherding, the feeding, you know, the spiritual nourishment and, and provision for our souls that we have in the Lord. Um, no longer being enslaved to sin absolutely. and the devil. And yeah, it relieves us from the oppression of sin. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I, you don't know exactly how far to go in making those more specific parallels, but in these cases, they seem safe, at least. Sometimes it may be general imagery, but, you know, it's kind of like some of the parables. I mean, even though there's general points, sometimes you can even see some details that, that you know, have some relevance. It's just sometimes hard to know, you know, the parable of the sower, he says... This is this and this, but sometimes you don't know exactly what details to press. Other comments and questions? chapter 35 then and uh, man, I don't know for sure how to break this down um, let's do the first nine verses of chapter 35 moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it thus says the Lord God behold I am against you Mount Seir and I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolation and waste I will lay waste your cities and you will become a desolation then you will know that I am the Lord, because you have had everlasting enmity and have delivered the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of the punishment of the end. And therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will give you over to bloodshed, and bloodshed will pursue you. But since you have not hated bloodshed, therefore bloodshed will pursue you. I will make not steer waste in a desolation, and I will cut off from it the one who passes through and returns. I will fill its mountains with its flame, on your hills and in your valleys, and in all your ravines, those slain by the sword will fall. I will make you an everlasting desolation, and your cities will not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is a prophecy against? Mount Seir. Mount Seir, and we know Mount Seir was in what country? But says Edom. Edom, that's correct. And we know Edom for what? Esau? Descendants of Esau. Not Edom like was Esau's other name. What? Obadiah. Not letting Yes. They uh, they didn't let him pass through when they were coming up to, to enter the land. Did they attack him or was that Am- 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 That was Sihon, the king of Bashan, and. Uh, no, all of the king of Bashan, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, were the ones who attacked, right? Who were, who were the people? Well, were there, wasn't there an Amorite or an Ammonite or something that attacked them? Oh, the Amalekites. Amalekites. Right? Yeah, yeah the Amalekites, because that's why Agag on the way. Yeah. What he got. On right. The right. Right. In the throat. Anyway, I don't think Edom attacked. But Edom was a constant enemy of God's people. Always. Now, 
We knew that from the time Jacob and Esau were born, didn't we? Mm-hmm. You know, God had predicted that. They were the, you know... Uh, Struggling in the womb. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they had a long-term history of, uh, you know, animosity toward each other. Someone has said Mount Seir said to ancient Jews what Nazi says to recent Jews. You know, and, and it's probably not overly strong. The Edomites, oh, there was just such bad blood between Israel and Edom. And so Edom symbolized very readily the enemies of God's people. I think we're using Edom here to some extent as kind of a representative of the enemies of God's people because one of the things if God's going to bless his people then he's got to deal with their enemies. And so what was he going to do to Edom here? Desolation, waste, desolation, waste. That doesn't sound especially good, does it? And, and what does he give as the reason? The enmity, and you delivered the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. Yes. The Edomites piled on. And uh, you see that strongly in Obadiah, a book devoted to Edom. And uh, there's debate, considerable debate, about the time frame of Obadiah. But I think Obadiah is talking about Edom's allying itself with Babylon in the destruction of Jerusalem and taking advantage of the situation to vent their uh, wrath against uh, the Edomites, against, against Israel. The Edomites to vent their wrath against Israel. By the way, Maybe Debbie will know this. This must have been a dadism. Uh, but nobody, when I mentioned this phrase in preaching the other day, oh, had no. ever heard of this. Oh, really? So, yeah, I, to vent your spleen on somebody? <laughs> you, yeah. that, you had heard of that. All right. That wasn't bad. None of them. I mean, I would talk to a bunch of people, and they all thought that was crazy. Have you heard of venting your spleen? I heard of it. You heard of it. You had heard of it? I had, like once or twice. Okay, I well why didn't you defend me? I would never use it in normal conversation. <laughs> no, but you'd heard of it, you heard of it. Yeah, it's but I, like some 18th yeah, century, kind of Victorian phrasing. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. At least you heard of it. Yeah, I don't think I denied no, I said I thought it sounded funny, but I don't. Like I intended to deny. Yeah, deventure. Next to the belly button. Deventure spleen to me is to like just pour out all your venom and anger and just you just yeah. let it all. I heard of it. I didn't mean to deny hearing it, but I wasn't. Well, nobody it. would say that ever heard it before. <laughs> no, she I was thought there. I said I heard it. Uh, no, no, no. He asked me. John he asked me. He said that awfully quietly. Assuming you still have a spleen. <laughs> <laughs> Most people do, but some people don't. You can live without it. Evidently, I know some people who are. <laughs> Not many, though. I know people still have their spleen. It's more people without their appendix. 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 Yes. So how did Edom get in the Isn't that in the front of the book? <laughs> in the back of the book. In the back of your mouth. That's your adverb. (laughs) So explain again how he invented it. Well, they hated Israel. Right. And so the Babylonians came in to destroy Israel. And this was Edom's perfect opportunity to take advantage and to pour out all of their pent up anger toward Israel on, on them. So they helped Babylon? Absolutely. But, but more, they helped themselves <laughs> to what Babylon had destroyed. Oh, they went in and took stuff? According to Obadiah. If I'm right on Obadiah, look at Obadiah for a moment. Mm-hmm. I just taught Obadiah, so. Didn't they, like, stand at the cross? Yes! And say, they went that way, go get them. Worse than that. Stop them and say, ha, 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 cut you. Yeah, worse than that. 
In verse 11 of Obadiah, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, etc. Verse 13, do not enter the gate of my people on the day of their distress. And the end of 13, do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. So I take it that he's telling them not to do these things because that's what they were doing. You know, I mean, to the point of, you know, mowing down the refugees as they were fleeing. That's pretty cruel. Who took out Well, they were taken out gradually. I don't know if the Babylonians actually conquered Edom or not. I don't know. That. <laughs> so God was going to, uh, you know, just really devastate Edom. He's going to give them what they deserve. Verse 6. I'll give you over to bloodshed, and bloodshed will pursue you. You know, you've been violent, so violence will be done back to you. Which is appropriate. So comments and questions through verse 9. Was the everlasting desolation in the cities not the inhabitants still, still hold true? Uh, yes, it's a wasteland over there, uh, because that's right to the lower right hand of the Dead Sea, that's pretty barren territory. Speaking of all these other nations, it's just always enemies, always, never God's people, yet yeah. Yeah. you follow them back and <coughs> it changes perspective, you know, they were, they were from the line, I mean, yeah. from Abraham, and yeah, so, it makes it more outrageous, the, you know, it just, wow, I mean, they should have known, and they should have been believers in God, and supportive of the Israelites, yeah, it's not like they didn't know, I mean, it's not like they didn't have a law of their own. I think that's exactly right. So I think that makes the Edomites more despicable yet. And even the other, all the nations, you know, even Babylon, even Assyria, from somewhere along the line, <laughs> you know, they were descendants of either Noah or Adam or, <laughs> or someone. Both, actually. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob and Esau reconciled their differences. Yes. Okay. I was thinking they did. Yes, they did. I seem to recall just reading that. Just recently. It's in our Bible meeting. Yeah. They did, but their descendants didn't. Which is kind of funny when you think about it, because the rift between them was healed, and yet they didn't, those who came after them didn't get past it. So. You're right. But that may not have been the, the cause of, you know, that may not have been the feud, start of the feud that resulted in this. Feud. Right, right. I agree. And even when Jacob and Esau reconciled, wasn't James first go back with Esau, or to Esau and never did? Apparently not. Who was supposed to go back? Jacob was supposed to go visit Esau. Did he Say, yeah. it went to, he went, he went somewhere, somewhere else. else. But I was like, well, maybe he just visited it. <laughs> then he went somewhere else. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know that from the text. That sounds much happier to me. <laughs> I agree. It sounds happier. Well, when he came back and. He said, oh, you go on ahead of me. And he's like, I'll leave him for you. And he's like, no, I don't think he's going to and uh, so Esau, at 16 Esau returned that day on his way to see her. Jacob journeyed to Succoth. 
they seem to be not in the same direction, I take it. Uh, not much. <laughs> well, they're not in the same place, so like... I don't know, I took that as more of Jacob's deceptiveness. Jacob did, but that would also be his whole life. <laughs> I was going to say, that would also be totally in character. Yeah, that's a truth. <laughs> totally in character. Wouldn't be the first time, but the second time. Third time. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get over all those women that Jacob. <laughs> his wife. No, there are only four. Here, take this. Here, take this. <laughs> I'll get you tonight. You know, I bought you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it was supposed to uh, enhance fertility, but it was the one without the mandrakes that ended up having the children in that particular case. <laughs> oh, mandrakes were supposed to? Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I think so that was the nature fertility drug. <laughs> well, that whole section is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob is totally in character. Yeah. 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 It's the uh, joys of polygamy. <laughs> Jacob just yeah. seems to go by luck. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of uh, what was that guy? I'll never forget this. In the uh, in the vice presidential debates, in the vice presidential debates back there years ago with the vice president for for Perot. Remember that old old army guy? Yeah. And you know one point in this debate, so I, I, I spill like a ping pong ball back and forth. including that one all over back in Genesis 33 where Mount Seir is identified with people. So I think that's unquestionable. Right. Now, Mount Seir mentioned tons? No, tons, no, but enough times to identify. Oh, Genesis don't ask me where else. I don't Genesis know. Genesis 33 identifies yeah. Mount Seir. Yeah, that's where, uh, that's where uh, Esau lived. Oh, where he turned aside? Probably does. <laughs> I'd have to look up in a Bible program or something to take up the other places where Mount Seir is mentioned. It's mentioned a few other times. Genesis 36. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, in the descendants of Edom. Yeah. Hey, Esau, right? Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, he does do that there. Good point. Oh, yeah, that's even better. And I think there are some other questions. Not at all, really. Because you saw something that was not paying well enough tonight. She emailed. Okay. Just a second. I didn't want to know. That would be bad, Chelsea. Not here, but over there. Oh, okay. All right. How about 10 to 15? 
because you have said, These two nations and these two lands will be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. Uh, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to your anger and according to your envy, which you have shown because of your hatred against them. So I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have heard all of your revilings, which you have spoken against the mountain of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate, they are given to us for food. And you have spoken arrogantly against me, and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard it. Thus says the Lord God, As all the earth rejoices, I will make you a desolation. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will do to you. You will be a desolation, O Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Okay. So look at their attitude toward Israel in 10 to 12. What were they thinking? Free land. Yes. Land grab. Woo-hoo. Opportunity to add to their uh, inventory of territories. Squatters. Yeah, exactly. We'll annex them. And he says, although the Lord was there, they failed to recognize this is the Lord's land. I don't care whether Israel's on it or not. They were treating it as if, as if it was theirs. Um, and, and they were they, they were saying, you know, in 12, they're desolate, they're given to us for food. You know, they will be able to take advantage of and take the spoil of and take over the Israelite territory. That's what they thought. But God views that in verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me and have multiplied your words against me. I've heard it. Now there's the deal. If you're going to speak against the Lord, make sure he doesn't hear you. Because <laughs> he hears it and that's bad. So, I'll make you a desolation. And, uh, you know, you rejoiced over Israel being desolate? Well, I'll give you a taste of your own medicine. I'll make you desolate. Reap what you sow. <clears throat> okay. Those of you who heard Jeremy's sermon yesterday, how many of you, when you read Inheritance of the House of Israel, thought, Land! Right. No. Good call, though. Should we talk about inheritance? Mm-hmm. It is the inheritance. Right, comments and questions, thoughts on this? This puts seed in, or seed in, seed in, been conquered. So, when Judah is conquered, it's just Edom gets the Lord of Judah and all those Israelites as well. Yes, uh, you know, I guess Israel was not closely governed. Just had some straggling Samaritan kind type people up there. <coughs> so they're not saying... I get my, I, I am Edom and I get my land, and oh yeah, I also get Judah's land. It's looking at both Judah and Israel. I think that's the case. That's the way I interpret it, as Judah and Israel. I think that's the best thing. These two nations and these two lands will be mine. I think it means Israel and Judah, although I can see what you, I can see the possibility of being Edom and Judah. But I have taken it as Israel and Judah, or whatever that's right. Calling. Mm-hmm. One moment. It's Mark. 
Mark, hang up. Never mind, hang up. Hang up on him. Hang up on him. Come on, he did it once. You can do it. You can hang up. <laughs> They're all telling her to hang up. <laughs> what? It's too nice. No, Thursday. Yes. No, exactly. Okay. But I can't find the fire. You want to know when the half day school is? That was my boss. What? Like, like, oh, I'm kidding. Let's not have fun. It was doing it. Why? Other comments or questions on 35? Stop here then. And we'll work on 30. Well, it's. Oh, the drive bones at home? 37, the drive bones. Oh, the drive bones. The Gog and May Gog. Oh, I'm so excited that we're going to talk to you for a So it will be, I'll be here the second Tuesday.